Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. My guest on today's podcast is Toronto-based hairdresser Kristen Rankin, who is a salon owner but also founder of the Dress Code Project. In today's podcast, we'll discuss what exactly the Dress Code Project is, the impact that it's having, what is suitability, salon pricing, and so much more. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Kristen Rankin. Hey, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No, I'm really looking forward to having you on the show. I know that my audience are going to get a a lot from this particular episode. So, uh, Kristen, before I dive in, um, I'll do what I do with everybody, and that's I pretty much get people to introduce themselves. So, who is Kristen Rankin? Give us your two-minute backstory. For sure. Thank you so much. Um, So as Anthony said, my name is Kristen Rankin. I also like to tell people my pronouns right up front. So I use they, them pronouns. And I am also a salon owner in Toronto. I am a partner in the company Fox & Jane, which is a US-based salon company. And I'm also the founder of an organization called The Dress Code Project. Uh, The Dress Code Project is an organization that helps salon owners create gender-affirming spaces so that folks can get haircuts that make them look the way they feel. Good. Fantastic. Great intro. Should I have introduced you using those particular pronouns? That's a great question. And no, that's not necessarily up to you to do. Um, I I actually really have this discussion when I educate people. Um, One of the ways that I like to um, allow people to know uh, right off the bat that I am trained and educated and also aware of what it means to have safer language and be in an affirming space is by actually saying, hey, my name's Kristen and my pronouns are this. And sometimes, depending on the situation, I will even ask people like, hey, my name's Kristen, my pronouns are this. May I ask what your pronouns are? Or do you mind if I ask what your pronouns are? Um, It really kind of just, I like to say it disarms people with a smile, you know? Like it just allows them to feel a bit more comfortable and know that, I get what's going on and you're in a safe space. Yeah, got it. Okay. So um, I did read, I've been, you know, reading a few things up on you and listening to some other podcasts you've been in. And I heard at one stage that you said that your pronouns were they, them, or she, her. But then I also heard you then say, and it doesn't matter if you decide to chop and change from one day to the next, you're quite entitled to. So uh, it's, it's quite a fluid sort of use of terminology, isn't it? If you feel like today or at the moment you are now they, them and not she, her, then that's okay and everyone should respect that. Yeah, I think there was this like disposition that we used to take, um, especially I would say within the queer community where we had to, you know, identify ourselves as something. You know, a lot of people Mm. like to call it labeling. And, you know, I think for a long time that was, it was a thing and it, I find it rather annoying and insulting because I have never known any straight identifying person to walk up to somebody and go, hey, I am so-and-so and and I'm straight. 
you know? Mm. So for, yeah, yeah. for me, having to say to people, you know, I identify this way or that way, it's, it's just not necessary. You don't need to know those things to have a conversation with me. And so, and, and so that was, you know, then when, you know, you used to have to say like, I'm gay, I'm a lesbian, I'm bisexual, whatever it is. And now I think what is so beautiful about the queer community, especially, is that it is mm. so all encompassing and it is so fluid. And it's, it's, mm. it's like a mosaic, like an art piece, like you might see something one day and see something else the other day when you're looking at that art piece. And it's very similar to that. I may identify, um, you know, at one time with uh, multiple pronouns, and I could still do that if I wanted to. And it could not; it doesn't even have to be just two; it could be three. Um, and I could interchange those and use them as I feel. And then I can change my mind, and then I can change my mind again, and I can change my mind back if I want to. I think that's what's so beautiful yeah. about it because it's it's entirely up to how you feel about yourself. Yeah. Good. Okay. So I know before we were recording, I was. Uh, telling you that I, I listened to you on a, a podcast with uh, Nina Kovner and uh, shout out to Nina um, at Passion Squared. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed everything that you had to say on that podcast. That it was it was very informative and I made up my mind then that I definitely wanted to get you on uh, the Grow My Salon Business one um, and and have, a, have a, a similar but I'm sure different conversation. So we've talked about the Dress Code Project or we've mentioned it um what exactly is it because i know it's a you know it's a global business now but uh well business is probably the wrong term but i know you have a global footprint with the dress code project but but what exactly is it because a lot of people wouldn't have heard of it yeah for sure uh so the dress code project is actually an organization um that um essentially helps train and educate um folks who work within the salon industry the pro beauty industry um, to help create gender affirming hair spaces so that uh, clients in particular who identify within the queer communities can go to hair salons within our organization and get haircuts that are gender affirming that, as I said in the beginning of this, help them look the way they feel. Um, because, you know, I think as you know, our industry um, has unfortunately been very gendered, especially when it comes to pricing services. So a men's cut or a women's cut, which can make people that don't identify within that binary feel left out and, and not sure where to go. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, where did the name come from? Yeah, funny enough. Um, it's a, So I thought of it because I was brought up in a school where we had to wear uniforms. And, um, you know, I, for my whole life, as far as I can remember, have always known that I have, been, I'm queer. Um, and I just hated that I always had to wear a kilt. Um, that was part of my uniform kilt, you know, blouse, blazer, tie, and all of that. And I always just wanted to wear, you know, the men's or the boys uniform or whatever. And it kind of drove me crazy that there were uniform, you know, distinctions in that way to begin with. So I thought the dress code project, like, let's break down that dress code. Like, why does it even have to exist? And, you know, beauty is part of the fashion world, fashion, beauty, makeup, all of it. It's all an industry within itself. And honestly, that's just kind of where it came from. Those are probably my roots around it. Mm, okay. Uh, so I was intrigued as to, you know, uh, where that term came from. Yeah, because, you know, dress code is also almost always gendered, right? There's a dress code and yeah. you have to wear this if you're that and you have to wear, you know, it's mm. it's a lot. So. Yeah, exactly. So I, I mentioned uh, the podcast that you were on with Nina and there was a particular thing. And I know we spoke about this a little bit before we started recording, 
And, you know, I've been hairdressing for a long time and, you know, I used to teach a lot of people, you know, physical haircuts, so to speak. And I would talk a lot about suitability and I would talk about face shapes and all sorts of stuff. And if I'm really honest, well, you know, I, I never really believed it, never believed in it at all. The whole face shape thing, I'd look at it and I'd often try and wonder, well, why does that suit this person better than somebody else? And there was a phrase that you used, and you've already used it a minute ago in the conversation. And as soon as you said it, I thought that is the most perfect definition of what suitability is that I've ever heard. And it was your mission um, for the Dress Code Project. Uh, and I'm assuming it is still the mission. And it was our mission is to empower and help educate hairstylists and barbers to give people haircuts that help them look the way they feel. And as soon as I heard that, that you want a haircut that makes you look the way you feel, it was like, that is suitability. That is the best definition that I've ever heard of it. So talk to me about that. How did that become your, your mission for the Dress Code Project? Yeah, thank you. That's such a thoughtful question and observation, Anthony. So, um, you know, really what it comes from is actually experiencing uh, something that is called gender dysphoria myself as a queer person. Um, and what that is essentially for me, um, and it can be, there's a basic definition of it, but it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. But, you know, for me, it was just never fully feeling the way I physically presented. So in my head, I would see myself a certain way, which often embodied a more masculine presenting physical body. You know, this mm. is literally how I would envision myself. And then of course, when I looked in the mirror, I saw something much different, being born cis female, you know, meaning female at birth. And mm -hmm. that was, so that's very dysphoric for me. I never felt a connection there. And I always wanted to look this way I imagined myself in, in my head. And then one day I was just on the internet scrolling through some, some things and I saw this illustration that someone had done of, of a perfect um, you know, image of what I was talking about. And it was a long mirror and someone was standing in it and the person presented a certain way clearly in real life. And when they looked in the, the reflection of the mirror, the reflection that they saw was what they saw in their head. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is gender yeah. dysphoria. And mm. for me, my whole presentation, my whole identity uh, revolves around trying to look the way I feel, the way I feel myself and envision myself in my head. So presenting more masculine or androgynous, having my, what that means is having my hair a certain way, my clothing, everything that I do. And that really is the breakdown of, of that statement, look the way you feel. And around that, you know, speaking of the haircuts, like, I also agree with you. It never, ever made sense to me. And if anything, to be honest with you, I thought it was just such a prejudiced way of looking at haircuts because who are we to tell someone you can't have that haircut because of how your face is? I don't know. I just, yeah, yeah. it's such a gross exactly. feeling to me. And I've yeah, had yeah. so many people 
you know, say to me, and, and this goes outside of even the dress code project or gender or anything. I carry this through, as you know, I'm also a stylist that is still behind the chair. And I carry this mm. through to my daily work when I'm behind the chair, I have people saying to me, well, you know, I can't do that because my face is this way and I need my hair to do this. And I'm just like, no, that's just so, not true. You can wear any haircut you want. And, you know, I'm going to teach you how to wear it the way you want to wear it because that's my job. Got it. Okay. So with um, talking about the dress code project, how, how big has it become? Well, we, we established in 2017 and, you know, we have over uh, 550 salons in our organization um, globally. That is in, you know, uh, in North America, in Europe, and then also in um, the UK, or sorry, in uh, uh, Australia. And, um, you know, it, it's funny. I would say that we, we really have flourished. And I would say within the salon industry, in terms of this subject, we're pretty well known. Um, but we also are a little, um, we, we try to get the salons to understand how they have to be before they become part of our organization. So we don't just let anyone in because for us yeah. and our people that are using our services, which is our directory on our website, um, it really is about the space being what we call a safer space, not safe space, but mm -hmm. a safer space for them to go to. And um, that's why it's so important that there's education and training around what gender affirmation means and what it means in the salon industry. So I would say that we're doing fairly well. I mean, I have been on Good Morning America. I've been in Vogue Italia, uh, Vogue or uh, uh, Vanity Fair Italia, Teen Vogue. I've been in a lot of different publications and we just keep moving and trying to um, get that message out there. Yeah, okay. Um, when you, the, the term safer space, what, what sort of context do you, do you mean safe in? Yeah, so, you know, because I can't be, or, you know, anyone in my team can't be in all 550 of those salons all of the time, mm. we can absolutely in no way make a bold statement by saying this space is safe. But what we yeah. can do is, hey, we vet these, these uh, spaces before they even become members. And, you know, we hold education, uh, we hold training, we have material that we actually built with a charity in Toronto that specializes in uh, gender identity and diversity. And um, so we do everything we can to give people the tools to create these spaces for the clients that need it. But we can never say that it's always going to be 100% safe um, for the reason yeah. that we won't be there, for the reason that, you know, these salons may get new employees that haven't been trained in this or don't know much about it. And so that's mm. why we say safer, because we just let, try to let people know we're doing the best that we possibly can. We're trying to yeah. make it as safe as possible, but it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't thought of this until you started talking about it. And I was, I was wondering, do you mean safe, safer in the context of emotionally safe? or in the context of physically safe, or potentially both of them? Yeah, I would say it's definitely both, for sure. Um, right. You know, okay. yeah, for sure, yeah. Okay, now, I, I, I hope you're not sick of telling the story, um, but, you know, I've heard you tell the story, and, and it's sort of, um, it was a good start point for me, sort of understanding more of what it was all about. So, you know, 
could you tell us the story of why um, the dress code project exists? How did it come about? For sure. Um, I really don't get sick of telling the story because it was just such a, a moment, you know, um, and I think it's an important moment. I think it's important for people to hear how it started um, because it was just so genuine and also um, delicate, you know, and I don't think a lot mm. of people think of this. So hearing this, I think maybe can be an aha moment for others. Um, but yeah, I had, I, I actually opened a salon before I became a partner in Fox and Jane, and it was in uh, the East end of Toronto downtown. And which is a very, Toronto in general is an incredibly diverse city. Um, and the queer community is, is rather large. And my salon was definitely um, a space where queer folks could come and feel, you know, celebrated. And um, I had a transgender woman sitting in my chair one day. Uh, I cut her hair, it was like any other service. And then the next day she tweeted to our salon that it was the first time she'd ever been to a hair salon and had a haircut that made her feel like a woman. And, you know, that was super impactful for me um, because I think as a queer person, you do this thing which we call masking, which is just trying to fit into the heterocentric world in whatever way you can. And I think a lot of trans people um, also try to do that for their own safety, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, she had also disclosed through our conversation when I was cutting her hair that, you know, she had been out as a trans woman for five years. So that meant that she had either not had a haircut for five years or she'd been to another salon and been misgendered or discriminated against in some way. And then it, it made me feel good that I was able to provide that for her and make her yeah. feel, you know, like herself. Um, and then it made me feel terrible that our industry was treating people this way, you know, especially people in my community that I identify so much with. So um, I just thought somebody needs to do something about this. This really needs to change. And, um, and I think I thought that maybe that everybody was in my head and heard me say that. Um, but uh, because I didn't do anything at first, and then I realized that no one else heard me say that. So if, if I did want to see something happen, I might have to be the one to try to start that. And I really had yeah. no idea what I was doing, but I just went with it. Okay. So how did you, how did you start it? Like, what was that journey like? Yeah, I, I just thought, I don't even know what this is going to be, but I just, you know, being a, mm. a stylist in Toronto at that point for, I think it was maybe, I don't know, five or six years already. I thought I, you know, I have some friends here that are other hair salon owners. I'm going to contact them. Um, I contacted people I didn't know, but were salon owners in the city. And I think I sent out like 25 emails to different salon owners in Toronto. And um, I started to get some really great responses. And, um, you know, the first response I got was from my dear friend, uh, Lisa Berry, who owns a salon in Toronto called Clute. And, you know, she just wrote back and, and she just said two words to me and she was like, fuck yeah. And, um, and I was like, okay, I think that we might have something here. And that is like, that is exactly how it started. And from there, you know, I think ideas just start rolling through your head and you start to talk to people and you start to put the talking and the thinking together and you create action and, you know, you just do something. Yeah. So, so what, what do you actually do? I mean, you know, there's a lot of organizations that you might belong to. And, um, 
you know, you end up with a sticker in the front window, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is, um, to say that you are a safe space, safer space, whatever it is that 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 you know you so-called belong to. So, 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 what exactly does the dress code project? What do those salons do that's different? What does it? How does it sort of materialize? So the salons that are in our organization, we call them uh, DCP member salons. And, um, you know, we are a not-for-profit. So um, the work that we do, uh, it requires uh, person power, of course. It wouldn't get mm-hmm. done without it. And um, so the what we do is we... Uh, let me just step back for a second. So when I first started this out, I asked people, hey, do you want to do this? Like, let's try to create these spaces for people in the queer community. I wasn't even using language like safer spaces at that point. I was really just yeah, being yeah. very rudimentary about it. And I thought, hey, can we, can we get this going? And then I started to realize that people were saying yes, and they were committing to getting it going. And then there was no further action happening after that. And I thought, mm-hmm. what makes people accountable? Well loving someone makes you accountable to them but without that money right not only does it make you accountable it makes the world go around and mm-hmm. um and i thought okay what if we charged a membership fee then you know we provided some things for them money always makes people more accountable you know even like a seven dollar pair of sunglasses if you can't find them you will look for them because you spent seven dollars on them right yeah. so uh we I, I as i said to you a bit earlier i went to this i was like i need to make this legitimate and i need to also understand what i'm doing so i went to mm-hmm. this charity in toronto that does the training for diversity and inclusion and i took their course and then i worked with some of their managers there to create um what we call a gender affirming space a guide for hair salons and we created that. It took us about four and a half months. It's an info guide. It's um, got uh, 25 pages of infographics that um, have basically married together the diversity and inclusion training that is offered at this charity called the 519 in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And um, my knowledge as a hairstylist. And what I did was went through everything I do in a day as a hairstylist when it comes to a hair service and I talked to them about it and we applied that to their training and together we came up with this manual that we give to uh, the member salons when they become members of the dress code project and um, we do we have also made a little DCP safer space sticker that they get Um, and then, um, we provide, uh, ongoing further training if they want it, which we try to highly, you know, highly encourage people to take, um, and, uh, so that they can really make their, their spaces as safe as possible. And, um, you know, like I said, all of this, um, is something we do because we love doing it. Um, but it's also something, you know, in full disclosure that we need to charge people for so that we can continue to do it. As you know, most mm-hmm. not-for-profits, that's how they run. Um, I have someone who is a coordinator. Uh, she takes a, a salary. You know, um, I myself do not because I'm just trying to do this and make sure that it gets done properly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. It's, it's fantastic. I'm sure it's had a, a far-reaching impact in the lives of lots of people that you don't even necessarily hear about. Um, I saw on your website that there's a partnership now with Pantene, Pantene or Pantene, Pantene. depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, talk, talk to us about that. 
Yeah, I th it was uh, about two years after I started the Dress Code Project, Pantene reached out to me and they, you know, said they saw what we, what we were doing and would we be interested in chatting. And um, so after a few conversations, um, I really realized that, um, A, I only wanted to partner with organizations that were being authentic in the message they were trying to deliver and the partnership they were trying to have with us. And mm -hmm. B, um, that Pantene was being very authentic, you know, um, we have now been working together, yeah, for almost four years. And um, I've worked with the, I started out working with the UK team, but I've also worked with the Canadian and the US team within the Pantene family. And um, it's been a great partnership because they really um, understand their role within our partnership, which is that they're huge. You know, commercially, Pantene is one of the biggest you know, hair companies in the world. And they understand mm -hmm. they, they can start to use their platform for, you know, uh, doing good socially, you know, and they really yeah, have, yeah. Um, they've really stepped up and said to us, how would you see this happening? And what, what's your advice? And does this feel authentic to you? And are we going in the right direction? And they've been really great with that. Um, and then they've also been able to take this, this, you know, partnership that we have and the message that we're putting out there and then, you know, getting it out way further than we would have ever been able to do. Um, so we've been incredibly lucky to have that partnership with them. Yeah, it was interesting when I saw it. I, I was like, lots of things went through my head. The first one was authentic uh, because big global, you know, organizations, I think they're, are they a Procter & Gamble company? They are. They are, you know. Um, the cynic, could say, I'm not saying it, uh, but, but the cynic could sort of say, oh, they're just doing that, you know. It's sort of like when you talk about the environment, lots of people do a bit of greenwashing to yeah. make themselves look green. It's sort of like, I don't know if there's a, a term for that in terms of, you know, associating, affiliating yourself, whatever, with the queer community at a corporate level, whether there's a term for that. But, you know, that was the first thing that went through my head. So it was great to hear you say what you just said then about how, supportive and authentic and genuine um that relationship is and that they are really you know intrigued as to your thoughts about how it could be done and should be done and they've really got behind it properly so yeah you know that's very interesting yeah, yeah we're very lucky to have that with them you know they um they brought me there the first year after we worked together to their um, main headquarters in switzerland in geneva mm. and um we had this you know big um, event around it and they actually said that because of us they changed their mission statement you know which used to be beautiful wow. hair for women and now yeah. it's beautiful hair for everyone yeah. yeah yeah great okay all right so how can if a salon owner is listening to this uh, wherever they are how can they be part of it they can go to our website which is dresscodeproject.com and um, mm -hmm. if you are a salon owner, there is uh, a link that just says join us and it'll lead you right through how to do that exactly. There's a, there's a link for just hairstylists who want to find out more information, even if you're just a solo salon owner or anything like that. And when, when you do and you hit that link, it sends us an email and then we have contact with you after that and, uh, and we get the ball rolling that way. Right. Okay. And uh, is there, you know, what what are some of the pushbacks that you get from salons that on the surface go, oh, that'd be great. I'd love to be involved with that. But then when they get a little bit deeper in, it's like, well, perhaps not. Well, you know, what, what are some of the issues you might come across with it? 
I think for the most part, you know, we've been pretty lucky. Uh, you know, like I said, we have over 550 salons and we're continuing to grow. Just before mm. you and I got on this, I saw two more orders come in for memberships. And, you know, so it's really great. But I think I think a lot of folks out there, um, they don't realize the why this is an issue within our industry because it's never personally affected them or anyone that they love. Uh, so they don't see why they need to change. Um, I think, you know, from another side, like the other side of the coin, if you're looking at it from just a business perspective, as a business person who owns a salon, they actually think they're going to lose money if they change their pricing menu. You know, oh, if, mm-hmm. if I take that menu and I change it, I'm going to lose money because of this, this and that, you know. Um, and so we often have those conversations explained to them why they won't lose money uh, at all. And other than that, uh, I think, you know, uh, it, it's very funny. We get so much interest around partnerships and working with people, um, especially from pro beauty companies, um, brands. Um, I, just going back to Pantene, we've had so many people on our Instagram account say, like, how can you work with a brand like Pantene? They're sold in drugstores and they're not pro beauty. But I'm going to say this. Pantene is the very first brand that has stepped up to the plate and backed us Mm -hmm. and put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and said, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to support you fully. And, you know, we have a Mm -hmm. lot of conversations with a lot of brands that are so, so interested until they realize that we actually do ask brands, hey, we're going to do this work for you. We're going to help you. We're going to train your trainers. We're going to do all of this. We ask you to give us a donation because we are a not-for-profit and this is how we continue to do the work we're doing. And then it is like crickets. You just, you don't hear anything back from them or you hear all the reasons why they all of a sudden are no longer interested. So I would say are, those are, are you talking, things. are you talking about salons or are you talking like corporate, you know, uh, sponsors there? Like I would say um, brands, you know, um, like, yeah, um, like professional beauty brands that work within the, oh, right. within, within the industry yeah, that our salons yeah. purchase and sell within our yeah. salons. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now you just touched on pricing there yeah. uh, and that's a, that's sort of a topic in itself because obviously this opens all of this up. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about the, the, the way that you uh, price because that's part of the requirements, so to speak, isn't it? For someone to be a member with the dress code project, whatever, the whole pricing issue is something that is, has to be, uh, in line with your thinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, exactly. And, and now that you've touched on it, you know, the requirements that we do have is that you have uh, a gender ne- neutral pricing menu, um, that you understand the language and terminology and that you, um, have a washroom space that is also gender nonconforming so that anyone can use them essentially that mm-hmm. you don't have those little male and female, um, icons on uh, logos on the doors. But in terms of the pricing menu, um, for us, as I said to you at the beginning of this, um, it is really um, exclusive to have only a men's and a women's cut because people identify outside of those genders more and more and, and have for a long time. So to say you're only going to service men's and women's haircuts means that you're missing like how much of the population there. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just not inclusive. So, uh, you know, we started off at my salon um, by doing length, not gender. And that's how we price it. So we have, uh, like, let's say, a short haircut, a medium haircut, a long haircut, advanced haircut, and they're priced that way. 
Um, we incorporate timing into that, um, and then we incorporate uh, a bit of a range. Um, and, you know, depending on whether you want like a barber cut or a pixie cut, we do use language so that it's familiar to clients so they can mm -hmm. pull from that familiarity. Um, so they might go, oh, right. Okay. Barber cut, you know, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Or yeah, pixie cut. I want that, you know, um, but it's still within that range. Um, I have a friend who uses timing and a lot more people are using both of those concepts. Um, you know, and some people I've seen recently that just simply have haircut. That's it. You know, um, yeah. so really what we always tell people is get creative, do it how it makes you feel good and what's comfortable to you. But just don't make a men's and women's cut your baseline. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never understood. Uh, I've understood the timing one and that's how I would do it. I, I won't have never understood the, the system that you use, you know, short, medium, long, mm -hmm. because, because long hair, like maybe quicker. Do you know what I mean? If someone's got just like long one length hair, that's going to be quicker to cut to me than your haircut or my haircut or whatever. So it, it's sort of like, I'm, I'm all for charging for time because, you know, I, I totally agree. Men's prices, women's prices. It's, it's like, stone age you yeah. know, conversation it should never be like that um your expression that you use frequently you know here has no gender you're dead right and so the only justification that you have as a salon owner for why does this person pay x and this person pay y can't be based on whether they you know, are male or female, it, it has to be, the, the only justification for it can be based on, well, our men's haircuts, we only allocate 30 minutes for, our women's haircuts, we allocate 45 minutes for, or an hour. That's the only justification you could ever have for that. But as you've said, it isn't as simple as men and women. So, it is a lot there's a lot more diversity in the mix than that so 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 that's why for me i would always go for um the time component so i was interested to hear that you said a friend of yours that's exactly how she does it i would have thought that was easier rather than short medium long you know um i don't know where i'm going with that it's not a question it's just an observation um well what i was going to say was just like in terms of the uh pricing and the labeling of of the haircuts i have yet to have someone say to me okay here are two people two human beings and one of them is you know let's say uh born female at birth and the other one is born male at birth and they have exactly the same length of hair same density of hair same texture of hair now tell me why we should charge them differently and yeah, it makes absolutely no sense nobody can give me a, a real absolute sounding reason as to why that should be the case you know and yeah. don't i don't want to hear that junk about like well women take more time on their hair than men do because that is absolute bullshit and we all know that um yeah. you know and you know i think the the whole point is just that hair is it, it is not um about your gender it's not about, you know, what, what hair is actually more about is your, your presentation. Uh, we call that, um, you know, your, your gender expression. That has way more to do with your hair than what is in between your legs, your sex organs. 
Um, yeah. not, that doesn't matter at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how you style your hair and, and how you look and the clothes you wear and the makeup you may or may not wear and the accessories that you may or may not wear absolutely has everything to do with your hairstyle and how you style your hair. Um, and those are the things that we need to consider when we are talking to people and, and helping them find a haircut that works for them. And then also around pricing, you know, um, mm -hmm. unless somebody can provide anyone, not even just me with some solid evidence as to why it matters and why we should price it differently. It doesn't make any sense at all. It makes absolutely no sense that there are still salons out there that have a men's cut and women's cut on their menu. And if you are a woman and you walk and you identify as a woman, you walk into the salon and your hair is this length, you get charged $80. And then another woman walks in and her hair is, you know, down to her waist and she gets charged $80. That is ridiculous and unfair. Yeah. Or a man walks in with short hair, your length, and he gets charged 25 bucks or whatever. The only... Exactly justification for it is time the only justification yeah. ever legal as well now you know in a in a salon situation to to be able to say that we charge women this and we charge men that or people that identify as women and men this or that is based on the uh time that can that can be the only legal justification why you have a different price um, yeah. because that in many ways it's really what we're doing when you really boil it all down as to what's happening in this industry you're buying and selling time absolutely you know it's very you know similar I mean? yeah it's very similar to people who say who come in and they want to get you know four inches taken off their hair and a whole new hairstyle and someone who comes in and says i just want to trim you know and you're yeah. like well i still have to do all of the same things regardless of how much yeah, length yeah. you take off of your hair you know and that's yeah. what we charge for we charge for our knowledge, our time, our education, you know, the care that we put into it, like that's what we charge for it. It goes along with also, you know, um, discrimination around hair texture, right? Um, mm -hmm. If you're going to charge by time, you better know what you're doing and you better be able to do it fairly to folks that have different hair textures. So mm -hmm. if you're going to give a curly haircut to someone, you should be able to deliver that curly haircut in the same amount of time as you do with someone else um, regardless of their their hair texture, where the, whether their hair texture is incredibly coily or it's a very loose uh, curl, you have to do that, you know, and you you need to be able to say, I can provide this same haircut for anyone in those in in this one hour slot, regardless. It's a very similar yeah. situation. Yeah. How do you advise salons who might be in that situation? Because it's historical, isn't it? Right. I mean, it's happened. It's happened for years and years and years that men have been charged X, women have been charged Y. And there's a big, a big gulf in some salons between what those prices are. Yeah. So if you're a salon owner listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, that's definitely what I want to do. Like, I, I definitely want to bring it in line to it not being based on, on the sex of the person, you know, in the chair. Um, how do you advise them to make that transition? from male-female pricing to a gender-neutral pricing? Um, I, I will ask them a few questions, and most of them um, are really to find out where they're comfortable laying, you know, whether it's timing or whether it's it's uh, by length, whatever it is, and we'll have some discussions around it, you know. Um, a lot of questions I get, or, yeah, questions, I guess, comments that I get is like, um, 
two, making sure that their current clientele will feel comfortable with the change and the impact will be as little as possible. And then the other part is making sure my clients who do identify as female and male don't get uncomfortable with this new pricing. And I always say to people, you cannot control how people are going to react to certain things. And so if you are somebody who's trying to better your salon environment by creating more inclusivity and celebrating all types of folks, and someone comes in there who is very heterocentric, heterocentric or, you know, um, and has got a problem with that, you have to ask yourself, do I want that kind of clientele in my salon? You know, mm. um, I think it's rare that it happens, but I've definitely heard it happening. And I've heard salon owners use as, as an excuse. Well, my, my clients who do, who are men and women won't like that, but why? They shouldn't have any reason. There should be no reason to get offended or upset. You're not doing anything to them. You're not changing a pricing for them. If anything, it's going to be more fair. You don't know how many times I've had hetero people you know, find out that they're going from a long haircut to a short haircut. And when they come to the register, I go, hey, by the way, your new haircut price is going to be this moving forward. And it's often a reduction in price. And they're so happy to hear it, you know, because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm actually getting charged for the amount of hair that I now have you, you have to cut. Yeah, that's the interesting thing that I was just going to ask you about was, do you normally advise people in that situation, the salon owner, to be putting the men's prices up or to reducing, you know, the female prices to, to get them in line? Or is it like, how do you, how do you, how do you talk about that? I just tell them to get rid of them all together. They're so, they're like dinosaurs, you know, like. A, so you, do you do it in one hit? Absolutely. Just, just like, rip the bandaid right, off, okay. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's just so much easier. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like people who, you know, they're like, I'm going, I smoke and I don't want to smoke. So I'm going to vape. And, and that's going to be mm. my transition. But then they end up vaping for 10 years, you know, mm. um, like, let's just take, rip that bandaid right off. And why don't we just get you to a menu that's going to work for you long-term and is going to be sustainable. Mm. Okay. That's great. Look, I, I've uh, been intrigued with this entire discussion. There's, there's so many good points and there's so many good takeaways. And it's sort of one of those things that in X amount of time, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is, you will look back and you will go, how did anyone ever think that was a good idea? It's sort of like, I'll talk to people about, I mean, a totally different subject here, uh, online booking. And they'll have every reason in the world why they won't do online booking. And I'll just say to them, look, in 10 years time, do you think there'd be more people or less people online booking? And the answer is always, well, of course there'd be more. So it's like, why wait? Do you know what Such I mean? a good it's, point. It, yeah. Yeah. You'll look, your people will look back at this and go, what, what a funny old world it was where Absolutely. We it was okay to charge women, you know, more than men for essentially, you know, the, the same thing. Yeah. You know, often in the same amount of time. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you know, it's just, it's like how, you know, we used to get most of our clients by word of mouth or walk-ins, right? You know, somebody mm. normally would have to physically come into your salon to see, Hey, what's going on there and how can I get an appointment? And now, you know, not only can you book online through our website, you know, but you can also reach out on social media and find us there and, you know, essentially make an appointment that way as well. You know, the world yeah. is constantly changing, especially with the way technology moves. So, you know, being able to say, 
you know, I think this is the other thing I try to explain to people is like generations are really changing and the generations mm -hmm. that are below millennial, you know, millennial and below now are really learning how to spend their money wisely and according to them mm -hmm. and their, you know, their morals and the way they, they see things. And I have heard so many people and I'm one of those people that I will not spend my money somewhere if I don't think that it's according to my ethics and how I yeah. see the world. And, you know, um, I know so many people that have gone onto websites and say, yeah, I immediately saw their price menu was gendered. And I just closed that website, closed that window and looked for one that wasn't, you know? So I don't even think people realize the business that they are losing as a result. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a really important thing. I mean, um, I've, got, I've got two daughters who are Gen Z, uh, Gen Z, depending on where you yeah. um, And it's interesting the conversations I have with them. I mean, they're 22 and 24 and their conversations around their friends and their fluidity. And it's just all so natural and so, you know, unapologetic and so accepting. Absolutely. Which is great. It's got to be a good thing. Absolutely. You know? So whereas people, you know, my age often find this a much harder thing to navigate and they're often frightened of of saying the wrong thing um you know getting something wrong it was an interesting thing i i heard you say on uh, or i think i i read i read it that you said if you're ever in doubt as to what you call someone in terms of the uh the gender you know they them she her him he whatever just use their name yeah just always use their name and that is the perfect get out of jail. Totally. So yeah. To speak, I mean, it? let's look, well, you can't go wrong. You can't. And you look at, so you look at someone's name as, as another pronoun really. And you know, that yeah. is their name. So, you know, they're going to be yeah. okay with it, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And you know, what's really beautiful yeah. about our industry is that if you, whether you have booking salon software or you, you are, you know, a little bit more old school and you use a book, uh, you're going to have that client's name in there for that appointment. So you will always know what their name is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, listen, we need to uh, start wrapping up. Whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social channels? Yeah, for sure. So we are on Instagram at the dress code project. Uh, and if you want to connect with me personally, um, which I always encourage because I do really like people asking questions. It's the only way that we're going to create change um, mm -hmm. is I'm at Kristen Rankin here on Instagram. Okay. And that's as it sounds, K-R-I-S. T-I-N, Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N. That's it. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, I will put those links uh, on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com and the show notes for today's podcast. And if you're listening to this podcast with Kristen Rankin from The Dress Code Project and you've enjoyed it, do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to uh, subscribe and share this episode with your friends. So, to wrap up, Kristen, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Summer Business Podcast. Yeah, Anthony, it was a, really pr a real pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for the thoughtful questions. Oh, thank you. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.